A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick, and Eddie Wilson is on assignment in Latveria again. I'll be honest, Eddie is currently a uh, war prisoner right now, a a political prisoner over in Latveria. They got him again. He was, you know, he was wearing like a fancy hat, thought, you know, Dr. Doom wouldn't notice him. Well, he was wrong. So I don't know when Eddie will return. Hopefully he will be back and he will be safe. If you can, please send letters and messages to E. Wilson number 725555555616, P.O. Box 555555555, Latveria, um, Latveria, and I don't know what the zip code is, but Eddie will hopefully get your letters very soon. Anyway, before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, talking about a certain movie that just came out, I don't know if you guys heard about it, it's this little independent feature called Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, before we get into talking about that, I want to tell you all at home how you can get hold of us on them, thar, social medias, and also introducing soon our special guest co-host. Anyway, first off, go on Twitter and Instagram, at The Marvelists. Facebook can go to hell. You can also find us individually on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. You can find E. Wilson on Instagram, at E. Wilson 9195. I mean, either way, just go to a previous episode. Eddie will do it and explain. Also, you can find him on Facebook, that aforementioned terrible website. But regardless, look for the Eddie Wilson with the sunglasses. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, among many, many others. Also go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, five star if you're ever so inclined, and broken ice cream machines, McDonald's, just give us five stars. Give us five stars. Please, for the love of God, give us five stars. Also, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash themarvelists, where you can help support the show for as little as $3 a month to as much as the amount that Eddie Wilson hates me doing because I just make a loud, obnoxious noise like into the microphone. $3 gets you early access to episodes as well as our undying love and affection. You also get for $5 everything from the previous tier, as well as two bonus shows, such as You Haven't Read That, where Eddie Wilson reads comic books he's never read before in his life, such as The Walking Dead, Marvel Zombies, Watchmen, and, of course, The Dark Knight Returns, the seminal masterpiece by Frank Miller. Also, in the month of December, we're going to be doing a special one of You Haven't Read That, where the roles are reversed. It's a comic I haven't read until that recording, which is going to be Bill Mantlow and Michael Golden's legendary run on Micronauts, as curated and picked by the Rob father himself, Rob Liefeld. And then also we have our other show called The Fantastic Voyage, where we cover all 102 issues, plus annuals, plus crossovers, plus tie-ins, plus whatever our little hearts desire regarding Marvel's first family, the world's greatest comic book magazine. Yes, we're covering all 102 issues of that, 
But in the month of December, we're going to be doing a little bit of a deviation. With everything going on with the legendary George Perez, I thought it'd be cool to talk about one of George's issues on the Fantastic Four. We haven't figured out what issue it's going to be yet, but we are going to be recording it soon. And we will have, obviously, an episode in mind talking about one of George's issues. Now, also, you can help support the show at belowthecollar.com slash themarvelous and get the Dad Joke Immune t-shirt because, God willing, if you've made it this far, you are, in fact, Dad Joke Immune. So now, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. But before we get into doing that, I want to introduce our special guest co-host for this episode. Since Eddie is a political prisoner in Latveria, I figured we would bring someone onto the show that I've wanted to bring on for quite a while. He is a voice actor, Ryan. Ryan, good evening, Mr. Brown. Hello, Peter. So, Ryan, I've known you for a number of years, and... I I knew you first off right from the voice I'm like yo that dude has a cool voice and ever since <laughs> I heard your voice I'm just like yeah like we we literally met in Main Street Comics over in Middletown New York and just you know talking BSing but we also have I think we have a mutual friend correct We have some mutual friends um Peter uh is one of them the um cosplaying roller skating machine Peter is the Gene Parmesan of cosplayers, if I've ever met them, because every single time I've run into him, it's always like, I'll walk up, and if you're a fan of Arrested Development, you know Gene Parmesan is the guy who literally will be like, I've been here all along, and rips off his mask, like, oh, Gene! Every single time I say, <laughs> think to myself, yeah, I haven't seen Peter in a while, he'll literally rip off his mask or whatever costume he's wearing, goes, oh, yeah? I'm like, oh, Jesus. So... It's one of those. It is something I've gotten used to, yeah. I get home, and that that one costume I was thinking about, um, one year it was Skeletor with um, Cringer's face mounted on his paulding um, in some, like, maestro fashion where he had, like, you know, his victory, uh, his trophies mounted on his armor. And I just, like, there was something about that Skeletor costume that was just so cool. Of course, I go home to find out it's Peter's. My favorite one of his was, obviously, I'm a sucker for anything Spawn, and that Spawn was absolutely fantastic, but, like, his number one was um, Prince, I think it was Prince Prince Television or something, but it's from Saga, Brian K. Vaughn's Saga, and, like, the detail and just craftsmanship, crafts, craftsmanship, there we go, easy for me to say, in his costume was incredible to witness. And again, if you've ever seen, if you've seen, I guarantee he usually makes it in whenever New York Comic Con has like those best cosplay uh, during this weekend, like on various websites and various publications, nine times out of 10, Mr. Peter is in there. Oh yeah, he's pseudo famous. If you if you've seen any marketing or any montage uh, or mashup of all the cosplay from New York Comic Con ever, really, for I mean for probably ten years going now, um, you've seen some of Peter's work. I I'm not that good friends with him. He seems like a great guy. Um, we don't hang out that much. I I actually geeked out and met him uh, because at the time I was working at GameStop. I had just come home from New York Comic Con, and one of the great costumes I saw was the Rocketeer. Uh, you know, a movie I liked growing up as a kid and I never thought I'd be standing next to the Rocketeer in New York City so I took <laughs> I took a few photos with him and I kind of geeked out it was one of my earlier cons so 
I, I hadn't quite gotten, you know, over seeing these costumes all the time yet. So it was still fresh. I was still excited. And I got back and told all my coworkers how great the experience was. And within a week or two, somehow Peter made his way into the store. Comic-Con came up. He mentioned how he was... Um, dressed up while he attended. He mentioned he was the Rocketeer. I geeked out. I said, not to be weird, man, but I have a picture of you on my phone. Holy crap. And we became, <laughs> and we instantly became fr uh, friends. You know, we got each other's contact. So I've been following him mostly on his Facebook um, ever since. But um, yeah, yeah, seems like a great dude. I know he's always active with uh, cons and uh, I know he's really into roller derby and that's really all I know about the guy. He's a, a good dude and he's into those things. So now let's go from talking about one Peter to another. Yes, we're going to be talking to another Peter. The, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's a Peter fiasco. Let's just get it right off the bat. Spider-Man No Way Home. Hachi machi. Holy cow, was that... Yachi <laughs> Machi is right in the words of the critic himself. Oh my god. It does not stink. I can say that. It did not stink. <laughs> it was funny because this is the movie that a lot of us out there, if you have seen the movie, obviously listen to this episode. We're going to be talking about a lot of spoiler points. If you have not seen the movie, what the hell are you doing? Shut this off and find a way to see it. I know there's a lot of a lot of problems going on in the world where you might not be able to see it due to, you know, what's going on with uh, the pandemic and whatnot. I'm not one to encourage this, but if you are not able to see it in a theater, you know, yar, there be ways, matey. That's all I will say. <laughs> I'm not encouraging it. The tone says That's it all. That's all I'm going to say. There are, I have seen comments from people in various groups I'm in, and one person had said, I'll be honest, I'm really sad my country is in a lockdown and I am not able to go to a theater to see it. I was able to see it, but now I'm really sad how I saw it. And I understand. I completely get it. But there are a lot of people out there that really want to see this movie. And literally the weekend it's supposed to happen. Imagine being that person like this is the movie you're looking forward to all year and something like that happens. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, there, there are people out there... Um, I, I'm a pretty big Spider-Man fan, um, but there are people out there with Spider-Man tattoos with, you know, that can, that can quote any line from any of the various books that they've read several times. And, you know, it, it does make me feel bad for them that they didn't maybe get to go see it opening day, that maybe they have had things ruined for them, or they might not even, you know, real life people have very tough schedules. They might not get to see it for a week or two. I, I feel, I feel bad for those people. I mean, his web line, advantageous. But um, <laughs> I, 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 my, my thing is with a lot of this movie in regards to what has happened with the film that was really heartbreaking was the fact that as this movie was coming out, a lot of leaks were happening, like a shitload of leaks. And the leaks that I had seen, some were true, some were complete bull hockey. But guess what? Mm -hmm. A lot of the ones that I saw were, in fact, the real deal. And there was one topic on Reddit, and it was in the Marvel Studios, uh, I think, spoilers or leaks subreddit. But there was this uh, whole, you know, giant post, and it was pretty much beat for beat what the movie was. And I was kind of shocked. But... One of the spoilers, for example, let's just get into one of the, the big uh, debuts slash returns 
question mark. I don't know. But <laughs> the character of Matt Murdock, Charlie Cox. And the second yes. I saw that cane stomp onto the ground, I <laughs> in my theater, I literally said out loud, oh, shit. <laughs> and you hear a murmur of people throughout the crowd, you know, the audience... And then they pan back and they show Charlie Cox as the daredevil himself. They show you him and you're just like, oh shit, it actually happened. And it this movie, a friend of mine, CJ, messages me a bunch of this stuff. And like he was sending me like reaction uh, memes and all that. And every single time a character like that would show up, they would have very soft lines or not say anything for a couple of seconds and it was like a cameo in a sitcom. Like their their back is turned, they turn around and go, "Oh, hey." And then they, you know, acknowledge the audience like, "Hey, how are you?" Hey, hey. It was a lot <laughs> of that as the audience goes, "Woo!" And I'm like, "Yeah. I, I get it completely." But it it got, you know, me really laughing at like some of that stuff. And I, you know, obviously it's just a quick 1 2 3 cameo just telling him his, you know, legal rights and everything. And I got a kick out of the usage of him in there, literally showcasing his powers in a way that is so damn good. You know, if you in the film, a brick is thrown through the window and he manages to catch it. And then you hear, what kind of lawyer are you? A really good one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, a great line. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but I think we'll see Ram, you know, that has great potential to come back up later. Um, as, as the whole, as the movie and the universe has changed, the fact that Peter met Matt when he did, I, I have a feeling that's going to have pay off dividends later. So 100%. And that appearance, by the way, was technically spoiled first off, obviously through the leaks, but. A week or so ago, during an interview, I believe with Screen Rant or Cinema Blend, Kevin Feige, Lord Feige himself, had said, hey, listen, if whenever we see Daredevil in the MCU, it will be Charlie Cox. Like, that was the confirmation. And literally a week later, da-da-da-da-da-da, Daredevil. So, <laughs> whenever. I, was... <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't stress enough, we don't know when. But <laughs> I, I'm sure you don't know, Kevin. I'm sure you don't. But <laughs> I I got a real kick out of seeing that character return. And this was very much the movie. And by the way, how fast his appearance in the movie was in there, like how quick it got to him. Like this was that movie where the pacing was perfect. They The way everything comes in, the way were introduced to these characters and just what they were doing with it. Um, My biggest thing with that appearance is how you can tell so much about the character already within such a short amount of time. Right. And do you feel like this is going to make those Netflix shows required viewing for the MCU, or is it going to be like a soft reboot for them? Uh, leaning towards soft reboot, I think they're going to go the approach of when, uh, LucasArts was really trying to really tie in their expanded universe with Clone Wars and stuff. If you watched Clone Wars, episode three was a better movie. You did not need 
to watch Clone Wars, though. So I yeah. have a feeling what they're going to give us is they're going to give us um, basically a Matt Murdock that really re- uh, resembles the Tom Holland Spider-Man they gave us. You guys know his backstory. You guys know how he got his powers. You guys know who Daredevil is. So we're going to we're going to give you this like year two Daredevil where you can assume Netflix happened, uh, but it's not required viewing. Um, for that said, anyone that have anyone listening to this that hasn't watched Daredevil, whew, wow. Um, yeah, I, I would watch Daredevil. <laughs> That's my advice to you, uh, uh, sir uh, or madam, is uh, watch that show. It's a fantastic show. It is without a doubt the best of the uh, Netflix Marvel shows. Um, every every actor in it is just superb. I can't imagine anyone being replaced by different i mean it was so perfectly cast so perfectly acted so perfectly ran wow and it's funny because in regards to you know rumor and innuendo over the last uh, year or so kevin feige had remarked that he really enjoyed like the rumor was kevin really likes the portrayals of charlie cox as daredevil vincent d'onofrio as kingpin and Kristen ritter as jessica jones he loved all three of them and right. so far, again, I'm just going to say this. If you have not seen Hawkeye episode number five, please turn this episode off as well. So mm. if you've made it first off, if you made it this far and you already you did not get the movie spoiled for you or whatever, or you, you know, you didn't see the movie and you're still listening. Why are you here? If you haven't seen Hawkeye yet, number episode <laughs> number five, please, please, for the love of God, shut this episode off. But come back, please. We, we, we would love to have you come back. But anyway. The big spoiler for the ending of episode five, Vincent D'Onofrio returns as Kingpin. Yes, it is in fact big boy season in the MCU now. And just seeing him make his return, it leads further proof to that rumor of Kevin Feige being like, I really like Charlie Cox, I really like Vincent D'Onofrio, and I really like Kristen Ritter. So what I think is we are getting my rumor or my speculation for the next few months and everything i think we are getting Kristen ritter showing up in jessica jones i mean no i i think uh botched that <laughs> i think there we go i think we are getting Kristen ritter reprising the role of jessica jones in she hulk yes that is a good assumption and it would make perfect sense to be able to bring her in with that as well as utilizing charlie cox as the daredevil in that as you know a competing lawyer or somebody in maybe even in the same firm we don't know but right i like that utilization of all of these characters together because what we're getting now is such a massive expanded universe of these characters and oh man by the way it for people listening at home this is not really going to be so much a play-by-play of the entire episode but rather us talking about different key points of the movie. I've only seen the movie once so far. And as of this recording, I'm going to be seeing it a second time. And then I'm seeing it on Christmas Eve on Friday. So yeah, well, this is going to be one of those things that we get a lot of discussion and discourse over for the next few months. It's one of those movies. I've seen it once and it is one of those movies where you got to just, um, you know, throw expectations to the wind, watch it once for what it is, and then go in that second time and 
really enjoy it. Know which scenes you you want to make sure you're paying attention for. Know which scenes you got to be on high alert for because there I already have my my mental list of scenes that I will be on the edge of my seat looking for every Easter egg that I know is about to be thrown in my face. So I can't wait to see it a second time. Now, one of the things that I want to talk about with this movie are the massive fight scenes. And, you know, you look at the Daredevil show with the hallway scene, you know, all of the Netflix shows, the hallway fights are always some of the best damn fights. And this movie found a way to take a hallway fight and really turn it on its ear. What a hallway fight. Ooh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd be, first off, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the return of... Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, and what a hallway fight. And, man, Dafoe acted his ass off in this movie. Yeah. He did an amazing job. The man powerbombed a child through a floor. <laughs> yeah, he came, you know, the the uh, from watching Easter egg videos and analysis and stuff and being able to finally process what we saw um, the common theme is that a lot of these guys, uh, these villains that were brought over, were brought over when they found out. So um, it doesn't quite hold water with Electro. We can get into that later. Um, and that was not an Electro eel water pun. But anyway, um, when we look at when Defoe came over, if we want to believe he came over when he found out Peter, this is when... Norman went back to his apartment and had that huge moment of confliction where he goes, what do I do about this? Um, yeah. So that's the William Defoe that came over. So when you when you bring that with it, that's why I think we got this amazing performance. Uh, we got to almost do a, an expansion of that moment. Um, and it was fantastic. It was just so cool to see a tortured Norman come over instead of just... Green Goblin throwing pumpkin bombs the whole time. I, I really did not expect the um, the two personalities to be in the movie as much. I really thought we were just going to get a lot of Goblin. Seeing him destroy, though, the original costume kind of bummed me out, but it made sense because then what you're doing is you're giving a revamp to the character. You know, we're getting the uh, little breadcrumbs in the very beginning of the movie when you see him return and you have the purple and green, you know, rags and everything. And then he has the new costume, which is purple and green, more akin to the overall costume of what the character is in the source material. Though I'm surprised they didn't, you know, go with a, uh, what's it called? Amazing Spider-Man number. I think it's 15. I'm actually going through the Ditko run right now for uh, first ever reread <laughs> in years. But, um, you know, I'm surprised they didn't give him the broomstick, you know, or everything. But whatever. But what I really liked about that, thing with him was he again he acted his ass off and you know it leads to brutal fights but also what i love about these portrayals of these or this whole movie is there is a lot of fan service in this movie we're going to be seeing it with you know the returns of andrew garfield and toby Maguire as their respective peter parkers but what i really like was just subtle references to those movies and I was never really that big in the Amazing Spider-Man movies and all that stuff, but in regards to uh, the Raimi movies, seeing some of the references such as, you know, the power of the sun in the palm of my hand, or the callback to a, a line that has been memed to death, and yet I still love it every single time I hear it, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself. 
when I heard that <laughs> yeah. line dropped, like that got a big belly laugh from so many people in the audience. And, you know, to use pro wrestling terms, that got a pop. Like that was a pop in our theater on not on par with, but pretty damn close to Tugboat McGuire walking through that portal. And, ah, <laughs> uh, man. So we just I just mentioned again, I got we got to talk about the big reveals. Um Andrew coming through first and then tugboat. But when you see Andrew walk through, like you see that far away shot of him all the way in the alley looking and you can't really quite make out who it is yet, but you know, it's a Spider-Man's and then you realize, Oh shit, that's Andrew. As he comes closer, comes through, you hear the loud reaction from the audience. And this is where, seeing these movies in a theater is great because you see that collection of reactions of all of these people. And when I, you know, I have not had a reaction to a film like this since I saw Endgame multiple times, like the first weekend and watching people like react to it, like, Oh my God, this is happening. It's, yeah. it's special. It is. When you have that many people sharing expectations, um, Movies are powerful devices, um, and I think we've all enjoyed movies growing up. They were all important to us, but I think that level of expectation has been something unique to sports fans and sports fans really only for a very long time. These guys grew up with their team. They know what to expect from their team. They want their team to win. Uh, so uh, So everyone in that stadium has a common goal. When you go to a movie, some people are there for the love story. Some people are there for the comedy I don't know how, but Marvel seemed to bring the whole audience together where, like you said, an entire audience of people saw Andrew Garfield, movies that were sometimes mocked and panned. And now you have an entire audience gasping, losing their minds because they think it might be him. So it, it is really amazing what they did to to bring that sense of camaraderie and, oh, my God, are are our dreams coming true in a movie theater. I don't think fans have really ever had that uh, growing up. You know, when we saw Superman, it was just cool. You saw Superman. We were never like, I, I've never seen reactions like this in my whole life. You know, we've been going to the movies for over 30 years and the Marvel movies are a, are a beast all to themselves. I've never seen this many people come together. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. And there is nothing like opening week as loud as they, as loud as you heard, you'll never hear that again. You know, opening week is, 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 is again, a beast unto itself. I, uh, remember seeing Avengers in New York City Thursday premiere way back when, and when uh, Thanos shows up at the end, uh, we it shook the theater louder than any explosion. So it was pretty awesome. I love seeing stuff like that, and I love the idea that you know these portrayals of these characters can elicit such a reaction of people that you know that we're so used to seeing them. We and when Alfred Molina's Doctor Octopus came out. No one really had much of a reaction because that was spoiled because of, you know, the posters, because of the trailers, because of, you know, him flat out saying, hey, y'all, I'm going to be in your movie. Um, Mm -hmm. All of the stuff happening. But the the big reveal, the one that got me. My theater got like a golf clap, like the celebrity that was supposed to appear in the Broadway play showed up. Everyone's like, yay, Alfred Molina. But they all knew it already. (laughs) So there was a there was a definite excitement, but nothing like the surprises. So now when McGuire came through the portal, 
Yeah, I, I I thought the Andrew reveal was loud, and and you, it's like if if one's coming, you know the other one's coming, but it still got him. I had I honest to God had tears in my eyes when he came through the portal because I'm like you know, growing up those Spider Man movies were so special. I remember going to the really old and shitty Monticello movie theater in Monticello, New York, before it got torn down to become a uh, what do you call it a Marshalls which is really sad to say, but hey, people get clothing. That's wonderful for them. But I had, you know, the memory of going to see that movie with uh, some neighbors and like, I remember going to watch that movie and this movie was, when that movie had come out, I was all in on it. I remember uh, renting the GameCube game of the Spider-Man movie adaptation. Bruce Campbell's lines are still playing in my head of him, you know, bullying your character through the tutorials. Yes. Um, just so good. That's that encompasses, you know, my early teenage years. I love those movies. Are they cheesy? Oh, hell yeah, they are. They're straight up, you know, Silver Age of Comics cheese, but they have heart they have a lot of soul to them and they were just really special to see. So when you see him come through the portal and it's like, he kind of gave himself a self-imposed exile from movies for a while. So we haven't seen McGuire in a movie in years. So when he comes through that portal, it's like, welcome back. You know, it's literally welcome back, Peter. So being able to yeah. see McGuire return in the role that he made famous, like, even back then, I you know I was always like, yeah, he's an okay. Like, I will always say this: he is an okay Spider-Man, but an amazing Peter Parker. And when you see him coming through mm. with that, as they call him in the movie, a youth pastor outfit, which I was dying <laughs> when I heard that. Um, it it certainly got a reaction out of me. Like I said, to the point of tears in my eyes and. I'm watching it in 3D. I'm taking my glasses off, taking my other glasses off. I look like an ass with them. But, you know, I'm like, uh, it's it's so nice to see him again. Because that's, that's the power and reaction these movies can give you. And people elicit that response from one person sitting in the theater, conjuring up those memories of a lifetime of consuming this, you know, media. It's cool to see. And it's cool to be able to realize the love and respect the they showed the audience with that and it was it wasn't pandering which i really liked you know no so. you could tell that whoever wrote this um was a fan themselves um you know i feel like those those moments with the the spider-mans um th those felt like improv moments that we got to see those felt like deleted scenes that they kept in the movie that felt like they hit cut and someone kept a secret camera rolling and these guys instead of going back to the trailers kept hanging out as peter parkers and it was unreal um to see that extra level of detail in these characters lives that this is what three spider-mans would hang would talk about if they were hanging out together they were talking about the questions that we wanted to know when they got to, i mean come on the web conversation was one was a dream come true if that's pandering if that's fan service then give it to me all day because i think we all sat at home and thought how funny it would be if andrew garfield could compare his web shooters to toby's uh natural mutation and here we are watching them discuss it in front of Tom Holland. I mean, that for me was 
the dream moment, watching an average nerding out conversation between three Peter Parkers. And it was funny, too, because it was this like it's one of those everyone was always thinking to themselves, I can't wait for uh, Iron Man to meet Doctor Strange because then somebody can say no shit, Sherlock, because get it. They both play Sherlock (laughs) like. That's fine, you know, in a quote-unquote fanfic. But in a big production movie, it's like, ah, 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 we get it. But Yeah, that might be better for the uh, Disney cartoons. Yeah. And, like, when we get the scene, like, it was expected, and it was like, oh, they are doing it, but it was delivered in a way that worked, the whole scene of, you know, the discussion of the web shooters versus organic. I loved that. And I thought, again, how it was done worked for what it was and they again just really good with what they did but yeah this movie is like also about a lot of redemption and over the years like Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man has been poo-pooed by a lot of people like they'll go oh he was a terrible Peter Parker but a great Spider-Man and you know I am inclined to agree with that but one of the things about that that I really appreciate was we have a scene where, you know, he's talking to Toby and he's just like, I'm not good. Throughout the movie, like every scene, he's dismissing himself because the audience dismissed him for so long. And, you know, he didn't he really didn't get a long enough run as Spider-Man, literally just two movies. Whereas, you know, you have Maguire with all of his movies, you have Tom with all of his and in a lot of fans' eyes, Andrew is just an afterthought. Like, a lot of, eh, I really don't care enough to watch the movie. And when you have the the scenes with him and he's just dismissing himself, and you have T- uh, Toby acknowledging, saying, why are you being so hard on yourself? You're amazing. Literally, you know, the ha-ha, that's the name of his movies. But I loved seeing that. I loved seeing he's giving a redemption for his own movie. And... Don't be don't be so hard on yourself. There are a lot of people that appreciate you for what you do. And that was what, you know, that's why there's such a massive outpouring of support for his portrayal of Spider-Man. There are so many people out there that I know that adore those movies. And mm-hmm. what got me was in regards to that is you know, the reaction when he came through the portal. My theater it was just as big as the Toby reaction, in my opinion. Like, it was, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't, it was pretty damn close. And what I liked was they they acknowledged, hey, you know, not a lot of, like, you have people that really appreciate what you've done. And these movies, like, they they do a really good job of, if there was a movie that was poo-pooed or, you know, dismissed by a lot of fans, they'll find a way for you to appreciate it. Look at Endgame with, hey, Everyone craps on Thor The Dark World. Give it a second chance because we're going to explain why you should care about this movie. Mind you, you know, two, uh, two years later, I still haven't watched the movie in a rewatch, but what are you going to do? But <laughs> they make other people like, hey, I am going to give that a second chance. And you know what? Yeah, I do like it a lot more now that I have this all in context. And this movie is going to be that for the people that, you know, heavily dismissed Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2. I was blinded by my um, by the decisions I didn't like. I, I never really gave 
the Amazing Spider-Man or the Amazing Spider-Man 2, um, I shouldn't say the movies, but Andrew's performance, the, um, I don't know what I'm looking for, um, unobjectified view that it deserved. Uh, he did great. I think when you look back at those movies, they told him we wanted more angsty. We wanted Twilight with Spider-Man. We want heartstrings pulled. We want you to care about this teenage love relationship. There are going to be monsters in it. But, you know, we really want this. This this is the version of Peter Parker we want. And I think that's what the studio told him. And I think Andrew gave the studio exactly the Peter they wanted. Um, so I think everyone that's mad at those movies is mad at the wrong people. There was an invisible hand called the studio, called the money people, call it, um, you know, uh, um, whatever you want to call it. The, the, you can see it when you watch Amazing Spider-Man 2. There is a hand in the way. It's moving things. It's pulling strings. It's ruining the movie. Um, so you can, it's forcing the Sinister Six down your throat when you, you just want to know what happens to Gwen. Um, yeah. You have this the best one of the best Spider-Man costumes of all time in the movie. And I barely enjoyed it because I'm just looking at Electro and why I didn't really like Electro's look. And then all of a sudden they're shoehorning uh quote unquote green goblin, you know, and uh it just it it who whatever outside force ruined that movie, it was not Andrew's fault. And I think that's why this performance was so deserving and why we all felt something for him. Like you said, there's an entire generation where this is their Spider-Man. I have two friends, uh Ethan and Griffin from the KLC press streams. They defend Andrew till their dying breath. Because they just saw Andrew's performance. They didn't have these outside uh, perspectives. They didn't have all these influences that changed their view, their point of view. They just saw this guy as Spider-Man. And it took them kind of campaigning for me when I watched it and gave it a second chance to, all right, let's get all this stuff out of the way. Yeah. Uh, so the lizard doesn't have a snout. <laughs> I wanted the lizard to have a snout. That's just me. You know, I wanted him to look like I always saw him in the cartoons and stuff growing up. Um, uh, you know, keep the trench coat on. I wanted that lizard. Um, you know, I wanted him to look. So now that I'm just looking back and accepting the lizard for what he is, Andrew did such a good job in those movies, man. Um, again, this is not the other universes. This is not Toby's universe. This is a universe where his parents are missing. You know, they did a lot of messed up things to Peter Parker in that story. Uh, where I don't blame <laughs> all the trials and tribulations. He can be a whiny kid in that universe. He kind of deserves it. His life is messed up. Um, Uncle Ben got killed just following him down the road in this one, for Christ's sakes. I mean, it wasn't even heroic in this one. He just got shot because the gun went off in the guy's hand. Like, I don't know. So uh, I, I think Andrew did a great job. Like you said, he deserved his redemption in this one. He deserved to have Toby lift him up and, and Toby... I think represented uh, the generation of fans that grew up with Andrew that said, we, you know, we believe in you. It's not your fault. You know, Sony was trying to do too much too fast with pushing a super, uh, a Sinister Six trailer. Let's face it. That's what half of uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 was, was just a Sinister Six trailer that never came. So I'm glad he got his second chance. And it's funny because in regards to one thing that they did in the movie, you know, the, the subtle references. When the Sony leaks had happened years ago, one of the things that was leaked was a reference to we want to incorporate dubstep as part of this Spider-Man's identity. And if you notice in one scene in this movie, you hear dubstep music playing in the fight. And I was like, ah, that's a reference to that. But <laughs> I, I am in... 
complete agreement. And I do really want to give these movies a second chance down the line because he, again, he did act as, you know, he acted his heart out for those movies. And, you know, I, I will never forget there's a clip. It's, I think, from uh, Jimmy Kimmel where you see a Spider-Man on the street performing and, you know, the kid gives him a dollar or whatever. And he rips the mask off and you realize, oh, it's Andrew Garfield this whole time because now, you know, he wants to still be Spider-Man, but he can't. So he's going to do any job he can to be Spider-Man, even if it's, you know, this lowly uh, performance. But what, you know, really got me as well was just those those acknowledgments of he he did his best he did his best with what he did and it shouldn't be dismissed and i love that i mm-hmm. love seeing the uh the acknowledgement that all these spider-mans which they mention in the movie and i love that they mention it in the movie because that's a term coined by friend of the show yuri lowenthal ps4 spider-man and i don't know if he mentioned it on our first interview or the upcoming interview that we have that you know we're planning on releasing very soon but that is a Yuri Lowenthal euphemism, and I Yuri, love Yuri. What a class that. act! If he's listening, love you, love you, Yuri. <laughs> same, same, man. He he definitely did a great job with that portrayal, and ah, oh, man. I again, you know, just all his, these Spider- his Spider Man is is something to behold. When I played that game, um, uh, I didn't know how I wanted to celebrate my love for it. I I ended up not buying any statues or going crazy with anything, but I always knew I wanted to celebrate it. So last year uh, during COVID, uh, I want to say in the late summer 2020, um, the PS5 was about to come out and there was uh, all the buzz for the new Miles game. So they did this thing called Streamily where you could, you know, uh, do like an Instagram uh, autograph package with Yuri. And man, he still does them like every other weekend. He's been killing it. If you if you are a Spider-Man fan and you want an autograph from Yuri Lowenthal, go go check out his Instagram because what a what a what a what a champion of the people in the spider-man community he's always on there signing autographs talking to fans i got him to do a whole bunch and the one that was really great for me was i said um you knew uh was my favorite line of uh the game because he actually says that line you knew three times twice to doc ock and once to aunt may and each time he says it it will tug at your heartstrings. He says it three different ways, and each time, each one deserves an award. So it's only two words, and he blows you away with two words. So what What an amazing Spider-Man. What an amazing performance. What an amazing person. Just a great dude. So now sorry. You mentioned- I, sorry I went on my Yuri <laughs> love rant, but he's a great hey. dude. So. It's all good, but you you mentioned your you mentioned Doctor Octopus, by the way, and I would be I remiss did. if I would be remiss if we don't talk about the spectacular performance of uh, Alfred Molina because how oh, Alfred Molina was great, Peter, so good. <laughs> and watching him at the very end, obviously he is a vicious, evil man, you know, throughout most of the movie. But once you know he gets the redemption, and you know the whole like the chip fixed. I love the fact that, you know, he turns into old Otto Octavius talking to Toby's Spider-Man and it, it's a very, it felt very cathartic to see that, you know, relationship resolved and yes, especially it shows the kind of character that the Tom Holland Spider-Man is where he, 
cares about others over himself. You know, when you have the scene where he's trying to get Ned and MJ back into school, get you know, them approved, get them accepted into the school, not him. And the, the uh, school official goes, yeah, you're getting it too. No, they deserve it more than me. I don't want them. No, you are getting it. You're going to go into school t- as well. I love seeing that. I love seeing that, you know, in their final moments, because all these characters, they go, I'm supposed to die, but I just got saved. But once I go back, I'm going to die. And yeah. what they're doing instead is, no, we're going to bring you back there and you will live and you will be a hero. You will be redeemed right now. Once you go back, you're going to be a good person again and nothing will happen to you. So seeing them all go back to their time and they realize, OK, it's they're good to go. They will not have this happen to them. It shows the kind now, of that character. might be my only complaint with this movie is I just want to know so much more now. What happened when Otto Octavius, a saved Otto Octavius, went back? Does, does is Toby's world a paradise now with uh, limited, unlimited energy? You know, I, I would say that's probably my only complaint is though he saved him, I just want to know so much more now. I I want to go to these universes. I want to see. Uh, you know, what Toby's uh, life looks like now that he's fixed his relationship with MJ. There's a saved Otto. There's a saved Norman. I, I I love it. I love that there's this open-endedness to it where we hope them for the best, but we really don't know what happened when they went home. Well, there is a rumor going around that they want to do an Amazing Spider-Man 3 and a Spider-Man 4. So I don't know. It's very possible, although, you know, we do have it now confirmed we are getting Spider-Man 4 in the M- the MCU version of Tom Holland. So wonderful to hear that news. But Yeah, definitely. You know, also going back over to other members of the uh, Sinister Six but Five in this movie, uh, we have Jamie Foxx's Electro, who, again, he got such a great redemption of his character because— we, you know, first off, I love that they acknowledge that the hair was a comb over in the other one. And you just hear the line of what happened to your hair? You got your hair fixed. <laughs> Apparently, the uh, the arc uh, reactor energy does wonders for the electro physique. So I'm so glad for him. And he's he, the, the biggest thing that he kept acknowledging over and over during the uh, media tour for this movie was I'm not blue. I'm not blue. I'm so happy to not be blue. <laughs> and I, I loved seeing that, you know, return of the character, the utilization of the arc reactor. And again, I love I also love the little acknowledgments of the uh, the comic costume where you have that, you know, the star, the electric star on his face. And there's there so many cool little things. And I don't know if you noticed this, but during the scene when Doctor Strange is like trying to set everything up in the universe as my cat makes a cameo, um, in, regard, <laughs> in regards to that scene, you see the uh, un- the universe is like crackling open, characters coming from other universes. Friend of the show, Nick Wells, he points out that you can see the uh, comic version of the Rhino, Craven, and... Um, there's another car- uh, scorpion coming through. Right. So those were the only three I could uh, when I was when I was spoke before of Easter eggs. I will be on the edge of my seat for that is the main part. I will be on the edge of my seat trying to make sure I can identify as many as I can past what you just said. Those are actually the only three I got as well. Craven because you could easily see a spear and lion mane on the shoulders. Uh, Rhino obviously and lizard obviously because of that tail. I, I really am looking forward to hopefully picking out a few more on a second viewing 
and also I want to talk about the uh, versions of Sandman played by uh, Thomas Hayden Church and Lizard played by Rice Iphens. <laughs> Because I wanted you to have that opportunity to say the proper pronunciation. <laughs> they both did a really good job. I hope I job. did it right. It, it's funny because the the they reused footage from Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 1 when they transformed back into their regular selves. That's reused footage or maybe even alternate takes from the original because both actors could not physically be there for these movies. That's why they're mostly CGI you know, characters throughout the whole movie. So due to, you know, either COVID exposure or they just could not be able to make it, they literally were just CGI characters and did voiceover work the entire time. So I did love that. That's definitely some movie magic because they they fooled me. I I would have thought for sure they had to do some mod capping for those performances because they were they were great. I I was just my, my thing is I was bummed out that, you know, you have the redemption of Sandman in Spider-Man 3, and then he goes right back to being a villain again just because, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man said the wrong thing. And I'm like, oh, man, I kind of liked him as a good guy. I wanted him, you know, to be like the one bad guy who's on their side. Yeah, he got a little angsty and just wanted to get, he wasn't getting home fast enough, and you're technically not the same Peter Parker, so I'm, I'm my trust is waning on you. It, it There were a few moments uh, that unfortunately, because this is a movie and things have to get done, uh, you know, personalities and decisions had to change quicker than it felt, because like you said, the movie was so brilliantly paced. Um, my only complaint uh, with the, the Peters is when we do finally address the uh, the Uncle Ben in the room uh, and they oh, bring God. up with great power <laughs> comes responsibility, I really have a hard time with how quickly they tried to turn Aunt May's death into an uplifting moment. Um, Toby's like, well, that's why she died. So she could say that great line and then the music's the trumpets start to play and the music rises a little and you can see Tom Holland kind of go, yeah, yeah, you're right. And <laughs> there's just a small part of me. I was like, I know this is movie movies. I know we got to get to the next scene, but uh, that was a that was a little too hokey for me. I don't know if I would have been as quickly turned to viewing my aunt's death in a in a different way. <laughs> it was when. They killed her character off, which, by the way, that got spoiled for me uh, on, I believe, Facebook or Instagram, where someone commented with, Aunt May dies. And then in somebody in the comments responds back to him with, yeah, that is true. Aunt May dies in the PS4 game. I'm like, oh, OK, that's that. They they put that as a fake one. And then I start hearing her say the line. I'm like, ah, sassafras, she's dead. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it got me with one thing, though, that like I was shocked. They did not utilize that. Uh, what do you call it uh, with her? The. The the relationship with, you know, her Ben Parker and right. When they really he, don't touch upon it. When you see her, you know, tombstone at the end, there's no Ben Parker tombstone beside it. Like, they've referenced Ben Parker throughout these movies. Like, you know, in in Far From Home, you have the Ben Parker suitcase that is passed down to Peter. So, I don't know. But he definitely exists. I know he does. Although, you know, you have the one line from Norman where, there's no Oscorp, there's no Norman Osborn. It's like, oh shit, you're right. 
So this is a universe where even the Fantastic Four might not actually exist yet until something happens. So so a, a great uh, little um, I discussed that with my brother um, on the way home from the movie. And uh, what if so we're uh, uh, an idea. What if Norman just isn't as successful yet? Norman is working his way up through Alchemex or something still. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still holding out hope that our uh, our MCU universe still has a Norman out there. He's just uh, obviously he's not rich and famous and doesn't have a son named Harry who's friends with Peter. But, uh, you know, here's holding out hope that we still get some something because I just think that whole the Osborne family is such an integrate part of the uh, Spider-Man universe. If they're going to go ahead and do another three movies to not have Norman or Harry in the next three movies, I, I feel would just be a, a loss for the, the brand. I was shocked that they did not utilize like they acknowledge that Harry Osborne is dead. The Toby uh, Norman Osborne, James Franco is dead and I was surprised they did not utilize the other Green Goblin because they could have done an ending where it's, you know, the Green Goblins, Harry and Norman tag teaming against the three Spider-Men. But what I'm shocked they didn't do was they could have, you know, brought him in and lead to a line of my son is alive, just a different one. But again, shocked they didn't do that. But again, a more power to you for not doing it because it led to a ending that was very impactful. And, you yeah. know, else I'd be remiss if I don't talk about the part where Tom is numbering the different Spider-Mans. And I feel like it would have been funnier if he went with, <laughs> all right, you're the amazing, you're ultimate, and I'm spectacular. Hey, ultimate over here, you know, but it's too on the nose. Although it really would have been on the nose if they went with my version where, all right, you're amazing, you're ultimate, and I'm Marvel Team Up Volume 1. But we didn't get that. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely thought we were going to get more Easter eggs with the names uh, for sure when they just decided to go one, two, three. Um, but again, when you were you saying with the self-deprivation, notice how Andrew just went with the flow. I thought that was some of his best acting in the movie. I really enjoyed that where he goes, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm number three. Fine, I'm number three. He just concedes and goes, fine, I'll be whatever Spider-Man you guys need me to be. I thought that was a cute moment of him just sh- showing his uh, his role in there in the universe. And, you know, also in regards to the fight scene, just that impact of how brutal it is. The tables are turned. Spider-Man this time is going to be the one that gets shanked with the uh, goblin glider. Yeah. And just that simple line of, yeah, it hurts. I was dreading it. (laughs) Since Toby jumped in the way, I was dreading it. Like, man, did you not just see him go all predator with that thing? Come on. You know he's about to get shanked. I, I was just... The, the chill in the air, it felt like an eternity waiting for, for that blade to go through as I'm like, any second, any second. I was just cringing more and more. Don't uh, forget the uh, line of, I've been stabbed before. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. I've walked it off once. I can do it again. <laughs> and, you know, we with the whole issue of the ending of how he's going to be selfless and get everything to absolve itself... You you know you brought up there are a lot of influences in this movie with so many different things. You have you know the you said the full story beats are Civil War, no uh, one more day, brand new day, and the game. Yeah, with with Spider Verse mixed in, obviously, but we we I feel like those um those those were the the big beats. If you broke it, if this was like uh, broken down into episodes. I feel like each of the episodes could have always been one of those story arcs. You know, we start with uh, the Civil War 
um, uh, storyline where Peter has revealed his identity. Obviously not his choice this time in the MCU. Um, so that changed everything. The MCU, I think, has a great way of taking the uh, the story arcs from the comics and, and turning them on their heads because... Personally, I don't want to just go see to the movie a movie and see the exact thing I read because then that's not it's cool. It's maybe artistically beautiful to see uh, those panels recreated on IMAX level screens. But as far as the story goes, I want to shake up. So I think it was really cool in this version that it was against his choice. And, you know, going to Doctor Strange, that's that's a beat right out of uh, one more day. You know, that's the first thing he does is he, he, he looks he goes to Doctor Strange. And of course, again, flipping it on its head in this version the MCU he says yes so that's a <laughs> that that was something I didn't expect to happen I, I honestly thought there'd be more pushback um, I thought the trailer was going to be misleading and I thought there was going to be a lot more pushback of Doctor Strange in the actual film of going no nah, I can't do this I thought Peter was going to have to beg a lot more than he did <laughs> and what I really loved in this movie by the way you mentioned with the whole civil war and him revealing his identity the biggest you know detractor of Spider-Man is J. Jonah Jameson played beautifully by J.K. Oh, Simmons, and I, He's the I, best. <laughs> I loved him in this role and how they went all in on just making fun of Alex Jones the entire time. I love yeah. the uh, utilization of the. All right, and by the way, Daily Bugle is sponsored by these these uh, phony supplements. Yes, buy them today for eight hundred dollars. <laughs> I liked I how dying. they showed his entire career is Spider-Man in, uh, you know, in, in all other versions. He's a he's a newspaper man. But he it, 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 with just two shots, they show that this guy goes from a basement dweller to a studio to, a you know, a, a penthouse studio because of Spider-Man, not because he's a, a, a brilliant editor, not because he's anything. His entire career is based on his hatred of Spider-Man. So it has to consume him. You know, uh, I think that I thought that was a really fun, cool change. And again, he's a guy who managed to take a role that originally they wanted to give the role of Jake or the role of J. Jonah Jameson to uh, Stan Lee back in the day when it was going to be a canon picture movie. It was going to be Stan Lee in the role of J. Jonah Jameson. And then eventually, mm-hmm. you know, it became, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to have J. Jonah Jameson, but it's not going to be you, Stan. Enjoy pushing this young girl out of the way in the first Spider-Man. Wasn't it great? You know, <laughs> instead, but it, this character is now him and it will always be him, which is a weird thing to say. But yeah, I enjoy that. And again, just this version of J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, so damn good. So damn good. And then also, you know, with that ending, with the whole no one's going to know who you are, it's heartbreaking seeing that scene of him going to MJ's job and seeing that. And by the way, MJ and Ned in this movie did a phenomenal job in their involvement with everything. They There's so many beats, I feel like. We're only 58 minutes into this episode, and there's still oh so much more that we could talk about. But, <laughs> you know, it's 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 insane. And each character, again, yeah. Doctor Strange as well, does a phenomenal job with what he's bringing to the table for this. Being the, you know, I thought he was going to be the whole, you know, here, let's give Spider-Man another mentor. And no, he's just full of his shit, and he just gives up on him. Says, now, no, you're going to call me sir. You're going to call me sir. Up until the final moment of mm-hmm. call me Steven. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he 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 even said it out loud. You know, I have to remember you're just a kid at times. You know, yeah, and. Uh, it, it it is definitely something I think the audience forgets as well because you know we we see that Peter has the world's problems on his shoulders. So I did like that they made it about just going to college, you know, like and and it it seems frivolous maybe because we're we're up against world ending problems and universe shattering problems. But when you're 18, going to college is a world shattering problem. You know, yeah. like that is the most important thing on earth is where am I going to college? Who am I going with? Am I going to enjoy, my, you know, all those questions arise and you, you see the pressure that the rest of your life is in front of you. Um, you know, I, I definitely came home later thinking to myself, like, wow, I can't believe, you know, uh, they wrote an entire story about his pressure of where he went to college. But then it took me a minute to go. Yeah, no, that's cool, because. If you're an 18-year-old kid and you just saw No Way Home, you 100% get where Peter's coming from. And it's funny uh, because... I also thought it was a lot of pressure on just those two actors. Um, Peter's got a deep bench of friends. Um, I thought it was very... I don't know if the word is brave. Daring? It was very daring of the MCU version of Peter uh, to basically wind down his gigantic network of friends to just these two. Um, yeah. And I thought the two actors did a brilliant job of representing Peter's whole life um, of, of friends um, because, you know, the, he has a deep bench, Liz Allen, Flash Tom, like the, the, so many names, Brady Brandt, like you can just go on and on naming Peter's uh, supporting cast. So well, he narrow have, it down to just these two. He does have a close personal friend in the form of Flash Thompson who, you know, went off to write his own book about their friendship and uh, <laughs> which by the way, the title of the book is called Flashpoint. And some people out there are suspecting that might be a dig at the distinguished competition in regards to an upcoming movie, which is going to be DC's Flashpoint, where they do their own attempt of a Spider-Verse, bringing in characters from other multiverses of the DC universe. And I'll be honest, I don't think it's going to have that same level of, oh my God, this is happening, because that one did a much better job. Yeah, uh, you, you got you got uh, competing triplets in red spandex, um, you know, with with three flashes versus three Spider-Mans. And uh, I think when you look at that supporting bench of, well, who else are they bringing back? It's very cool that we're going to see a Michael Keaton meet Ezra Miller. Uh, it's very cool. I think they're relying on it too much. Yeah. I think uh, you shouldn't have a Flash movie where your main draw is Bat Michael Keaton's Batman, because then you're not there to see the Flash. Um, and, you know, though we had something similar in this where you had five villains come back, those five villains, um, you know, represent 20 years of movies where Michael Keaton represents about five years. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it's very cool, but I don't, I think like you said, it is going to fall short where it will not have the same impact Spider-Man had when you see the other Ezra Miller, no one is going to cheer like when they saw Toby. So, you know, <laughs> it, it will be cool, but it just can't compete. So for all the Simpsons fans out there listening, Marvel is Springfield and DC is Shelbyville. Just Plain and simple. <laughs> Plain and simple. At least the way it stands right now, man. I can remember a time when oof, DC was New York City and Marvel was Springfield. You know, I can remember a, a time when DC just seemed like these inconquerable champions that 
Marvel will never touch. Marvel will always be the underdog and how, how much can change in 30 years and 10 years of movies. So, and again, you know, this movie is planting so many seeds for the future as well. You know, you have Jamie Foxx talking about, you know, maybe there's a black Spider-Man and I love that oh, yeah. just little seed being planted of, Hey, we're getting Miles Morales in the very near future. He, it's, I think with the whole erasing all of his friends and, you know, changing things, starting anew, Miles is going to be introduced as Peter Parker's, one of his close friends in the upcoming film. I think that's that'd be my great. speculation. I think follow the follow beat from the game. And as Peter is volunteering at feast, uh, trying to fill the role that um, Aunt May has left behind. Um, I think you'll see Peter uh, volunteering at Feast. Obviously, no one will know who he is, uh, which will be weird. I think there's great potential there to meet a young Miles who's just trying to do good. Uh, you can meet his whole family that way. The cop uh, father who picks him up, the mom who also works uh, at the shelter. So I think following the games a little bit like they've been doing is, is a great idea because the games are doing it, have gotten a lot of things right so far. And, you know, we also, you know, as we're starting to wrap this episode up, one of the things is the ending, you know, again, it's very empire strikes back where it's a dour ending. We don't know, but there is a little bit of hope left. You know, when you look at the ending of empire strikes back, you see Leia, uh, Luke and the droids as they're looking at outer space. What, is next for us and this movie you have peter parker going into his new you know apartment which when i saw the apartment the very first thing i thought of was lenny from the simpsons don't tell people how i live (laughs) but they (laughs) he moves into this apartment and does his own thing and you see him put the box down and inside is a ged study guide and like man like seeing that part it's humbling it's very much you know there's a lot of people out there now that will see this and it's like Peter Parker is working towards his GED. He's a high school dropout. And there's so many people in this world that will see that and be like, I can relate to that and I can be able to go off. And if, if this is a hardship for Peter Parker, it's a hardship for me as well. I can relate with this character. I love that relatability of Peter Parker. And it drives me crazy over the last few years with these movies people that don't understand story progression they did not get oh he's just iron boy i hate the name iron boy so goddamn much (laughs) and i love seeing they acknowledge that with the daily or not the daily bugle but like the new york post iron man jr and this i loved seeing that because this is the thing with spider-man it's a slow burn too many people out there in this world want the resolution to be one two three we're done as of this recording this weekend, Netflix just dropped um, the second season of The Witcher. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because everyone wants resolution done now. In a bingeable culture, we want the resolution immediately. Whereas, you know, you look at Hawkeye, you look at The Mandalorian, you look at Amazon Prime with The Boys. Weekly releases are a great thing because it helps build yeah. out a story, has more discourse, more conversation about what's going on. With these movies, we've had a long-standing storyline of, well, Peter Parker is a character that, yeah, he got everything. He now knows what it's like to be this rich kind of character, has all these gadgets, this ability, and wait a minute, 
he had this great responsibility and he squandered it. He had something great going for him and now he's lost it because with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> People don't realize, oh yeah, wait, no, you know, he's Iron Boy Jr. because I just saw this one thing. So clearly that's what he's going to be the entire time. No, that's not the case whatsoever. You can't get instant validation. Yeah, I saw a brilliant comment where someone said, um, you know, when we when we meet him in No Way Home and it's like a year two uh, version of him, you know, they oh, they're skipping the origin story. And now when you can zoom out, you can see, no, these three movies were his origin story. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they just handled it in such a different way than we've ever seen before that I really do feel there was a wrap up. There was a, a, a chapter close. There was a, a moment of transition at the end of this one where my big three questions moving forward are um, and I'll just say them and we can discuss them, you know, as long or as quickly as you want with time allowed. Um why does his spider powers exist outside his body? Why, when Doctor Strange punched him, uh, Ethereal punched him, does, was he still uh, Super Spider-Man? Um, I, I got to see this new costume because, as far as I can tell, it is the greatest Spider-Man costume we've ever had on film, and they teased it. And I, I am mad at them for teasing it because, man, do I want to see that costume. And, uh, you know, the post-credits with uh, Eddie Brock saying hi. So oh, yeah. Those oh, are we're gonna, we my are big three questions. <laughs> okay, so those are my big three questions. As, as If we're going to talk about the ending, when I left the theater, those were the three things I needed to know more of as soon as possible. Well, one of my biggest takeaways with this ending, with you know him looking at you know MJ and looking at Ned, we got hints throughout the movie about something, and now that he is no longer friends with him, you know, like the whole forgetting his friends and everything. Everyone's forgotten who he is. The line over and over was, you know, the, you talk about uh, my best friend uh, almost killed me. And then you look at, you know, Ned like, oh, no, is that going to be me? Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be you because <laughs> right. you are going to now become the Hobgoblin because you don't know who Peter Parker is. You don't know this. You don't know that. You're going to be this disillusioned teenager who becomes a villain you have hmm. that one scene, you know, in the apartment where there's the knives. You have all sorts of different things. It is going to be that. And it's when you look at it now, oh, God, is that ending a heartbreaker? Because it's going to be the next time you see this kid is going to be him with a knife to your throat about to kill you. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. That is absolutely heartbreaking. I'm glad you noticed that, too, because they did hang uh, the camera did hang on those knives for a little longer than was normal. I'm glad you noticed that because I had not remembered it till you just brought it up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there was that thing on the wall. It's heartbreaking. And it's like, you know, this Ned leads, you know, this timeline version now with, you know, the forgotten memories. He's not going to have that emotional connection. And. When you like the one part also about the ending that really broke my heart was as Peter's putting things into his new apartment, you see him put down the little Emperor Palpatine Lego minifigure, and it's just like that's the one connection for him with Ned, and that's going to suck. That's really going to suck. And then yeah. also, you have with you know him preparing his little speech to talk to MJ, and you know, I'm Peter Parker, da da da. Something some people didn't notice. I didn't notice upon my viewing, but somebody, t you know, I think a uh, friend of the show, Nick Wells, texts me that and he goes, yeah, you didn't notice. I'm like, oh, shit. She has the Black Dahlia necklace. So that's like why right. she doesn't react the way she does. 
because that is the connector and somehow that was swept under the rug with Doctor Strange like oh you're going to do this 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 that was noticeable and I love the fact that that's you know going to be the thing that connects them back together again that will be what reconnects their relationship and again it again it's so damn heartbreaking seeing this end for Peter but it's hopeful it is absolutely hopeful you know right down to him as you mentioned you know making the new costume and the look of it again yeah you said the teasing oh my god I cannot wait to see that suit in action yeah I I don't know when I want it to be um I don't know if I want to just wait two three years for the next movie uh promotional footage if i want to see the action figure the statue the whatever the uh ryan meandering uh i hope i said his name right uh <laughs> concept art the the brilliant i mean he, he is uh the head of visual development and if you've ever seen this guy's concept art what that guy draws is what ends up on screen so he is a genius and i would just love to see his drawing because somewhere there must be a drawing of the perfect spider-man costume so i don't know if i just want to see it on the dv uh the blu-ray extras whatever but i can't not wait to see that costume and it's very funny that this movie you know the movie ends we have all of our hope and everything going on with what this could be and one thing that i really appreciated was the utilization of the Venom symbiote at the end. And you have Tom Hardy and Venom talking about what's going on in regards to this character. And what I really liked was the fact that we don't know now. So my speculation is this version of uh, Venom, Tom Hardy's version, is not going to be in anything in the very near future. But what instead happens is that was how the Venom symbiote gets brought into the MCU. He literally just sneaks it in, and it's going to be somebody else that gets the symbiote. I personally think it's going to be Flash Thompson on vacation getting it, and he's the villain in these films. Makes perfect sense. Mm, That's an interesting idea. That's not too bad. So what I think is going to end up happening is that it's not going to be having Tom Hardy meet him, but rather Flash Thompson, because... Flash is pretty much an afterthought in this, these movies. He's just a quick one, two, three gag, and then he's done. But I think it's go- that's where this movie, the, you know, this upcoming trilogy, that's where he becomes a bigger deal. And it's going to be Peter Parker's right. past attacking him, except the past doesn't realize that Peter Parker, these people that were in his past don't realize they were in his past. So it's going to be... Right. I personally also think we're going to see MJ become a villain. Personally, I think it's going to be huh. Ned, Flash, and MJ, and it's a trilogy of his past attacking him. Wow. Yeah. that that That's definitely interesting to see him. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> they always have to, um, because it's the movies, uh, have a deep personal connection with each villain to Spider-Man. Uh, I like that. But what I would like to see is while he's fighting those people, I want to see a lot more street level crooks. I want to see a lot more of the, uh, you know, the Matt Gargans and the uh, Flint Marcos before he's Sandman, you know, and um, uh, Mason and all those guys. I don't, I don't know. I just meet the street. I miss the street villain version of Spider-Man. But uh, if you want to make the beats, those the big arcing villains, those three, that would be pretty cool. Um, I know when you read the comics. I was I was kind of thinking we'd get maybe like a Lee Price 
who's literally just kind of like a middleman villain. Uh, maybe like Lee Price is a a, a, a bad guy down in uh, that area already, South America, Mexico. And, you know, the Venom suit goes on him. Um, so he's already a, a villain. Peter kicks his ass and the suit obviously upgrades to Peter so, uh, when he takes care of Lee or, I mean, even Gargan. I mean, it, we've had the symbiote on enough people that um, it, I am definitely curious to see how it travels from uh, the vacation spotted what it came into New York City. So well, it'll be fun to see who it hitches a ride on. One idea that I thought of just now, you know, with the whole idea of making all three into, vil- you know, future villains, I have a weird feeling that if you end up making MJ a villain, it's got to be Black Cat. Because her father yeah. in these movies is the vulture, and the vulture helps lead into a life of crime for Black Cat for this. Wait, hold on. I think you mixed up characters. Did you say MJ? Yes. MJ's father, wait. In the movies, is vulture. No, that's, um, was Alan's father. I thought, wait, no, I thought, because remember the... Have I? I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> yeah, no. Liz Allen's father is uh, is Tombs uh, in Homecoming. Well, regardless, I think it's going to MJ, be that. MJ. MJ does not want to know who her father is. I mean, dude, like you basically only you take away the vulture, and everything you just said can totally be feasible. All you got to do is she said, "I don't want to go by Jones. I want to go by Watson." All you got to do is make Jones a thief. And, you know, he's a cat burglar, he's a, he's a whatever, and boom, she's a, you know, she's following in her father's footsteps, so. Well, once again, like I said. You can still do it, you just change the names. <laughs> that is, again, 100% what I think it's going to be. It's gotta be. And what I also like is the fact that, you know, these movies, they this one especially, they did a phenomenal job of bringing so much stuff from the original source material in. You mentioned... Before we get, you know, fully wrapping a bow on this episode, the spider totem reflexes. Elaborate to me what you meant by that. So in Spider-Verse, we meet a character, I I believe it's in the early 2000s, named Ezekiel. And what's crazy about Ezekiel is he seems to have the same exact uh, powers as Peter, but he got them through mystical means. He finds uh, a magical totem in uh, an old South American temple, and it gives him the power of a spider, but in slightly different ways. Um, Later, when Dan Slott expands on this idea with the Spider-Verse, what we kind of fully realize is going on is in every dimension, there is a spider totem, a person that kind of represents the multiverse. And they are somehow able to tap into the web of fate that connects all dimensions, all realities. And that's basically what Spider-Man is in our reality. He is somehow able to tap in because of all the mutations, Peter's spider sense is what singles him out. Um, Silk has her uh, projectile uh, web manipulation, uh, Kane is super strong. Uh, they all seem to have their specialties. Peter has always been a spider sense. Uh, and that's because he's basically this universe's totem. He represents the spider deity, whatever that you want to call it, that uh, is tied to the web of fate. And that's what I think we're seeing when Doctor Strange um, exudes Peter from his own body. Uh, I have yet to see the movie again, so I can't confirm this. But in Easter egg videos, they say the wavy lines from the comic book actually appear over Peter's head when he's in his ethereal form. 
to go full-blown comic book 616. Apparently, he gets his spider tingle symbols over his head when the body is doing those dodge moves. And uh, that can, I mean, Doctor Strange is blown away. It was this huge part of the movie that we just kind of had to move past quickly because we had other things to do. And I think it was a great hanging thread that we can pull on later to show that Peter has powers that are not of this earth. It's not science fiction. It's not magic. It's something else. Um, And that's where we come back to Thor, where he says, you know, in his world, science and magic are the same thing. So I think we're showing that Peter, this, this child of science fiction, has something else going on that is gives him his spider sense and that's why it's so good that's why he can sense so many things from such a far distance i i just think it's a really cool aspect of the comic books that i feel like they snuck in there uh to see how people gauge it if people want to know more they're going to go full into the spider totem universe if people are like what's this weird spider reflex thing maybe they'll dial back but i think it was great i think they need to lean into it heavier and show the real spider verse where we're getting more Spider-Man from other dimensions. We're having a live-action noir. We're, we're having uh, Yuri Lowenthal's uh, actor from the game step in, even if it has to be dubbed by Yuri. I, I think that might be one of the reasons we had to do this huge recasting with the, the actor from the video game. I want to see the white spider step into the live-action universe, um, and I really hope that's what this movie set up. By showing us the Toby and the Andrew is in the future, we're going to get the full spider totem, full Spider-Verse story where we're getting we're going to see everyone. It's going to be awesome. So now you mentioned Spider-Verse, by the way, as we wrap this episode up, one of the things that, you know, I got uh, I quickly skimmed through the credits and I don't know, I haven't looked online if it's had, had it said yet but in the thank yous, they list off a bunch of people, Brian Michael Bendis, Dan Slott, uh, I think J, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, Joe Casada, and a bunch of other people. And it's all the comic. I got to mention my friend uh, Giuseppe Camincoli gets a mention as far as, as well as uh, Olivier Copiel, uh, some great artists that did the run. Yeah, they mention like a boatload of the comic talent. And this is the one time where I'm just like, yeah, but you didn't thank one name. And as far as I can tell, John Semper Jr., the showrunner of Spider Man the Animated Series, or any of the people involved with Spider-Man the Animated Series did not get a thank you because Dan Slott has gone on the record saying, hey, we did the Spider-Verse thing, but you got to really thank the Animated Series because they did a Spider-Verse episode involving Madam Web, involving all these different iterations of Spider-Man, and that's right. the OG Spider-Verse. I was just going to say, you really got to give it to the cartoons. Those cartoons are brave uh, those cartoons are the test pilot for many of what we see in the movies, and they don't get enough credit. Um, kids were shoved Guardians of the Galaxy down their throat uh, via video games and cartoons way before the movie came out. So while you, the parent, might be bringing your kid going, what the hell is a rocket raccoon? Your kid has already spent three years getting to know this character on the cartoon. So as a yeah, as a generation uh, 90s generation kid growing up with seeing the Spider-Verse and it was just something I saw on Saturday morning. It's not crazy to me that they did a comic like that. It broke the mold. It it tested the waters and and let kids start dreaming. Like, would, is this a cool idea? Is it? Would you guys like to see more of this? So I think anyone brave enough to do the work that's that paves the road for these movies does deserve the credit for sure. Uh, like you said, there was this amazing crossover episode. 
it was a dream come true. And now it just seems kind of normal. Yeah. Uh, but back in the 90s, when you saw that for the first time, it was groundbreaking. And we had never seen anything like that. So it was pretty it was it was not to make a bad spider pun, but it was amazing. So it was spectacular. It was web up even. It was it was it was ultimately spectacular. Yes, it was truly an untold tale of Spider-Man. But um, (laughs) what got me also was as we're watching the movie, you know, film wraps up and we end up getting the post credit scene, which is not a post credit scene, but rather the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And right. Our theater, you know. Got a nice little reaction when you see Elizabeth Olsen return as Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. And it was also, if you notice carefully, we're getting the first appearance of America Chavez. And it's leading in to what we're going to be getting very soon, the Young Avengers. We're getting more of these characters making their big screen debut, and I'm loving it. Yeah, they have really done a great way of uh, slowly passing the torch to give fans time to get over it. You know, uh, it's an unprecedented thing they're trying to do. And they're constantly just breaking new ground, trying to figure out how to do something that's never been done before. And and we don't want to just do it. We want to do it well because it's got to have that Marvel name attached. You can't just say, hey, guys, these are the new Avengers in a movie in a year. So, you know, I think by the time they do this, you know, there's there's I guess basically no Avengers movie slated for phase four, which is genius. By the time the next Avengers movies comes around, you're you're not going to care if it's, um, you know, America Chavez. You're just going to see want to see someone lift that shield. Exactly. You're not going to care if it's you know, you're not going to care if it's a different Hawkeye. You're just going to love that Kate Bishop shot the new Ultron in the head, you know, whatever. So I, I love I think they've done a trend amazing transition and they've set it up so well and what you know got me thinking with that trailer overall was it's a sam raimi joint like this is going to be sam's return to directing a superhero movie and by the way if you love what he's done with the with the uh spider-man trilogy that he had done i cannot recommend dark man enough give you know give that a watch liam neeson running around as a superhero just watch dark man one that's the only one uh liam was or uh, <laughs> raimi was involved with you're good otherwise but, uh, yeah, like this movie, I personally watching that trailer, I did not get much of a Sam Raimi vibe from it yet, but I got to give the trailer, you know, a second watch. I'll be giving out a second watch, uh, this evening, but yeah, um, it's, it's very interesting to see where this could go because this is now, we don't, I don't think we have uh, a show for a little while. We got, a. What if season two dropping, I think, in January or February, but otherwise we got a We're little on bit, a of, bit of a Marvel break for now. Yeah. And I'm f- honestly, I'm fine with that. Like this year was the year of Marvel last, you know, last year, the year before was like all Star Wars with everything, you know, with uh, Clone Wars and Mandalorian one and two and you know, right. uh, Rise of Skywalker. Bleh. But, um, <laughs> you know, we got a lot going with this so it's nice to give us a little bit of a breather you know now we can be able to watch things on the award-winning disney plus such as the the mighty ducks and home alone oh no (laughs) (laughs) anyway oh man i will i will be going back and watching the spider-man ones that i miss because i gotta be honest they they started coming out so fast ultimate spider-man i think came out and has some great story beats i just didn't it was coming out so fast. I'm actually going to go back and check out some of those. But 
just got done rewatching Spectacular Spider-Man, which I'm not going to say which one's best, but I think that might be my personal favorite run um, with uh, Josh Keaton as Peter and um, f- the great Steve Bloom as uh, as Green Goblin. <laughs> I re- it's just I really got to watch that run. One of I've my favorite versions. Things. If you've never seen it, man, you have to see it. It is truly amazing. There's an episode, um, again, with those Streamly things. I did a Streamly where I had the honor of having Steve Bloom sign something for me, and I chose his Green Goblin just because, uh, again, it was around the time that they were getting ready for Miles. And Anyway, just it was a Spider-Man moment. <laughs> so there was an episode where they straight do Shakespeare. And, and if you've never seen the Green Goblin do Shakespeare, you're missing out. It is truly an amazing moment. So I actually asked Steve, uh, could you could you rhyme for me in the autograph? And I knew it was pressure, but he did it in the episode. He actually, I think, forgot. And he sits there for a moment. And he goes, OK, I got to do a rhyme. I got to do a rhyme for this kid. So I will <laughs> uh, bless you all with hearing the wonderful rhyme Steve Bloom made for me up on the spot. Dear Ryan Michael. Roses are red. Spiders are too. If a radioactive one bites you, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I love it. So he is a he is a class act. Can't believe he made that up on the spot. It was unreal. So yeah, do your Spider-Man homework, everyone, because this movie deserves you to know everything. And hopefully there will be another Spider-Man. Uh, you know, when Spider-Man Six comes out. That will be the real Spider-Verse movie where we get a ton. Let's fingers crossed. So before we wrap this episode up, Ryan, big thank you for coming on board for this one and talking spider, chopping up chopping up the spiders oh, with us. My, my pleasure, sir. My pleasure. And thank you, thank you for having me. Now before we wrap this one up, let's just, you know, I'm going to go first. Uh, what I thought of the movie, uh, it was definitely a cinematic delight and very much one of those movies where I was not sitting there looking at my watch like, hey, is it almost over? It is almost over. This year has been a very interesting one in regards to the movies and in regards to the Disney Plus shows. Like, literally, it was bookended for me with the shows of uh, WandaVision, everything else in between is eh, and then you end it with uh, with uh, Hawkeye. And then with this one, we had Black Widow, which was okay at best, Shang-Chi, which knocked it out of the park, then you have Eternals, which the less said the better. And now this, where I'm just like, hot damn, this is how this is how you marvel. You this is this is this is how we do it. But yeah. I loved it. And I thought, you know, if you don't have the ability to see it in a theater, find a way to watch it. You know, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, but anyway, I digress. But if you have the ability to watch it in a theater, do so. Please do so. Because that ability, that the communal element of watching these big reveals, these big surprises. I'm excited to see it again today with a bunch of people that I know have probably not seen it. Like this is their only time they can watch it. And hopefully they've avoided the spoilers because I don't like the idea of spoiling movies for people. I think it's, it's such a shitty thing. It's not fun. It's not funny. Um, when it came to like, you know, a friend, she had messaged me and she goes, does Kingpin show up? And I go, no. And at that point, I didn't even want to spoil that for her. Like, I didn't want to be like, you know, right, I can't, yeah. I don't really want to tell you because I love that element of keeping all of this a surprise. I love that secretness of this. And yeah, there's a big, like, I, bravo to Sony, bravo to Marvel Studios 
for keeping these secrets a secret. I love that. I thought it was so smart. It was so... It made it feel special. Like, I have not mm-hmm. felt like this with a movie in a very long time. And quite frankly, this kind of exceeded how I felt with Endgame. Endgame was a great movie and a movie I saw multiple times in theaters. But this is on a whole other level. And I'm excited to see where the Marvel Universe goes with this. And if I had to give this a number score, which obviously, yes, I'm going to, 10 out of 10. And and I had written this on my Facebook. I go, I just saw Spider-Verse, or Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. All I will say is it's on par with Into the Spider-Verse. And if you know me, Into the Spider-Verse is a top-tier movie. It's in my uh, tr- my... My Mount Rushmore of Marvel movies of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Logan, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which some people out there will be like, really? Like, yeah, that's the uh, Cannonball Run of Marvel movies. And if you've seen Cannonball Run, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But (laughs) Spider-Man No Way Home is up there with those uh, those three. And again, knocked it out of the park. Ryan? I'm going to have to give it, um, the movie gets a 10 out of 10. The experience for me was a nine and a half out of 10 only because I wanted one more big surprise. Um, I had enough ruined for me, uh, just from the trailers and the hype and everything where, you know, like if Toby and Andrew had not showed up, I would have felt gutted. Um, so obviously I, I was pretty much going in there assuming they were going to show up. I would have I I would have wanted it to be a little more surprise. Uh, I I basically just f- almost flipped my review where you said um, Endgame. It was this was a little better than Endgame. I would say this was a little less than Endgame just for the experience for me because I had no idea um, we were gonna get Fat Thor. I had no idea we were getting um, as many variations. I had a feeling we were getting something of the Professor Hulk nature, but there were still so many surprises in Endgame where I was blown away by the amount of. I can't believe I'm seeing this. I can't believe I had no idea this was coming. Um, That being said, knowing it was coming, still, watching the three Spider-Man share a hug was something I never thought I'd see. While watching it, I felt things I never thought I would feel at the movies, like... There, you know, these movies lasted three generations. For me, that was three terminal, you know, uh, you know, very important generations of my life. I was a kid, then now I'm a young adult, now I'm an adult, and you know, I felt a lot of emotions watching three generations of myself, film, nerd culture, Spider-Man fans, actors, uh, share a scene, share multiple scenes together, and really enjoy it. It really seemed like uh, those three had a blast doing those uh, lab scenes together and without a doubt the best parts of the movie for me. Um, So I'm going to give the film a 10 out of 10. The experience, um, you know, slightly less than that only because so much of the the events were unspoilerable. They were unavoidable. Could they kept this a bigger secret? I'd, I'd give it an 11. I'd give it a 12. But it is definitely one of the greatest movie experiences I've ever had. Um, top three experiences of all time being Spider-Verse, this, and Endgame. So a very similar <laughs> and review to yours, but um, you know, slight differences. But the film was great. Acting was great. And certainly the future, what they did uh, as well as what Endgame did, they wrapped up a chapter with leaving you so many awesome threads that didn't feel as forced as they could have felt. Um, you know, <laughs> didn't feel as forced as, hey, who are your parents? 
I don't know. Well, let's go find them. I wonder if we're getting a Lando Calrissian show. You know, <laughs> so uh, as long as it wasn't as forced as anything like that, I can't wait to see what happens with his friends. I can't wait to see what happens with those spider reflexes. I can't wait to see the new suit. I can't wait for Spider-Man 4 and Amazing Spider-Man 3. So I think they did an amazing job closing up this Tom Holland opening chapter and setting up a, a, of a rich and deep Spider-Man future. So now in regards to one, you know, again, the fan service of this movie was off the charts, but in the best tasteful ways possible. Although quite frankly, I was really hoping we could have gotten at least one little nod to uh, the Fox daredevil movie when foggy was literally uh, played by John, uh, Johnny Favs who now is happy yes. Hogan. I saw them like sitting next to each other. I'm like, well, it is kind of a Nelson and Murdoch reunion in a way. Yes, <laughs> yes that was a that was a fun moment. I want to think that's why they let John Favreau have that that moment of uh, stuttering. I want to think that's kind of why they put it all on his shoulders for a second. in that scene was just to kind of say uh, Matt is blaming you. Or I don't know. I, I I totally feel what you're saying. That was a fun moment, and that is uh, definitely something wild when you think about the uh, the meta nature of these movies. That you know, the, the, the happy happy is sharing a scene with um, happy slash um, oh god, I just foggy is sharing a scene with another Matt. So yeah, that was that was really cool. So now Ryan, all the happy scenes were really good. I, I'm surprised they were so much better in no way uh, than Far From Home. I thought he was okay in Far From Home, but the the use of Happy and John Favreau's performance in this movie was outstanding. So now Ryan, before we wrap this episode up, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Okay, I am at Ryan Michael Toon T O O N like cartoon. Uh, I pretty much have that name on everything. So if if there's a social media way you want to get in contact with me, you can probably do so by just finding me at Ryan Michael Toon. Very cool. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Ryan. Excelsior. And webs out, I guess, for <laughs> Spider-Man. Thwip, thwip.